All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tacovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. Uh, kind of a mixed bag weekend in many respects. We're going to break it all down today. I want to thank you all that bought Dogpile, number two on the Mississippi bestsellers list. I was hoping to stay number one, maybe next week. Uh, still very grateful. It's one of those things, too, you begin to ask yourself. It's like, am I really going to get upset about being number two? No, no, I'm not. A little disappointed, but uh, not upset about it. But, uh, yeah, a lot of books have been shipped again. We're kind of down to the, uh, the, the final group. But many of you bought last week, and uh, your books will be shipped today. Uh, and I believe that will have us up to date. So if, you, if you've ordered a book from the website, expect it uh, here in the next couple of days. If you hadn't got it in the next few days, hit me up. I'll see if I can't get you some information. All right, let's not spend a lot of time talking about that. We uh, had the baseball weekend, did not get off to a good start. I do think that uh, we have basically a team that is finding an identity, finding a sense of itself. You know, the thing about it is, you know, this time last year, we were having the same conversation. And we, we forget that. We do. We, we forget the fact that this time last year, we're like, hey, we don't have Jake Mancom to be that alpha in the clubhouse. It can Tanner Allen do it? Can Rowdy Jordan do it? Well, they did. But it took some time to kind of figure it out. And here's what happens. You know, when you have those big moments in games, guys have to get comfortable in that moment. 
You know, I go back all the way to 2017. You know, it was kind of Brent Rooker and Jake Mangum's team. We had won the SEC championship in 2016, a very, very talented team. And we lost a ton of players. We get into 17, and it becomes the Brent Rooker year, the Triple Crown year. But people forget, you know, Brent Rooker in 2016 was a good player, not a great player. Had trouble uh, recognizing spin. I don't know why you would have ever thought him a fastball back in those days, but some people did. But in 17, he became more of a complete player. Guys continued to evolve and develop just as those guys did. Of course, Rooker wasn't with us when we went to, to Omaha in 18. And you remember what a dreadful start to the season we had that year. Hunter Stovall was one of the leaders on that team. And, and, I, and I'll, I'll submit to you, you know, Hunter Stovall, not a guy that was just, you know, a, a surefire talent. He was the guy that got by on hustle and work ethic and, and just toughness. He was very, very mentally strong. I remember after the uh, dreadful weekend against LSU, and he basically went to social media and said, hey, don't, don't give up on us. We're not going to quit. And they didn't. And we wound up in Omaha and were eliminated by the eventual national champion, Oregon State, in an elimination game. You know, if you, people forget, we, you know, we had won our first two games in Omaha that year. They had to beat us twice. They did. But when you go back and think about where we were in mid-March to where we ended up in June, it's incredible. And again, Gary Henderson, a lot of people wanted to hire Gary Henderson. So, hey, listen, the guy got us to Omaha. He got us to win a game away from playing for an AFL championship. Uh, Mississippi State Director of Athletics John Cohen elected not to go in that direction. Faced a lot of criticism for it. We uh, had this coaching search that basically we had, uh, you know, four months to put together to find the replacement for Andy Cannizzaro. I remember myself, I was thinking, you know, after we get, um, you know, kind of walloped by Vanderbilt and walloped by LSU, I'm thinking I'm ready for this thing to be over. Little did I know what was coming. Of course, we hire Chris Lamonis. And Chris was not an early name of consideration. A lot of talk about Tim Corbin, Dan McDonald, others. There were other people, too, that uh, weren't involved with our search, that kind of wanted to associate with our search to get a raise, you know, from their current uh, situation. You remember Jim Schlossnagel was a guy, too, that uh, was a candidate early on. And, and it's interesting, too, you know, there's been this revisionist history, you know, about um, Slosh and, you know, the connections to the job. And he was a serious candidate but was not over offered the job. And uh, yeah, as you guys, if you follow over at jeanspage.com on the baseball board, we've discussed this before, you know, Slosh was a guy who was very much in the mix. And then he got a little bit impatient and thought he could uh, kind of run the search and say, hey, I need to know something by this day. Well, it kind of eliminated him as a candidate. But there were a lot of people out there that were saying, hey, this is going to be the guy. And that wasn't the case. And so I offer that to you today, too. You know, it, kind of when you think about the current coaching searches that, that we're undergoing or about to undergo, is that you have a guy like Gary Henderson. You know, Doug Novak takes over under very difficult circumstances. A lot of people pulling for him. Say, hey, you know, hey, the guy's done a great job. Now, we, we end the year losing five in a row. And while that's five in a row, it's difficult to be critical of Doug Novak or anybody associated with women's basketball in Mississippi State this year. The flip side of that, too, is 
as we were looking for the replacement, you know, a lot of people said, hey, it's going to be Jim Schlossnagel from TCU. And so I say that to think about the men's search, that I believe is just days away from really being an official thing. There are a lot of people that have ideas of who they think it's going to be. And I just share with you today, I don't believe right now that we have a good idea yet. We still have a coach. We don't even have an official coaching search. Does that mean that your administration doesn't have a short list? They absolutely do. Every athletic director in the country always has that top drawer list of guys. If, if this coach leaves, if I have to make a change, these are the half dozen or so candidates that I would pursue. Everybody has those. And there's always people to put out feelers in advance of a search just to see, hey, what would be the interest in our job? But the reality of it is, is that uh, these things are, are often very, 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 very complicated. And there's always family concerns. There have been some guys in the past, whether they be you know, assistant coaches on the football side or whatever, that you, know, you talk to uh, you know, people close to them and they say, yeah, yeah, he's really interested in the job. Well, then you find out that there are some family entanglements. Sometimes we just forget that. You know, it's like we can think about ourselves. Like, I'm the kind of person, I I would move to Alaska for the right opportunity. I would move to Boise, South Dakota for the right opportunity. I'm a very ambitious person. I don't have a lot kind of holding me down in that respect. You know, my, my kids are older. My kids are scattering around the country, kind of pursuing their own lives and their own dreams. And so... That's the kind of person I am. But not everybody's wired like me, and that's not to say that I'm better or worse than anybody else. There are some people that just want to stay closer to home. You know, I look forward to coming back to Mississippi, too. I love Mississippi. I was born in Mississippi, raised in Mississippi. I live in Mississippi. I love it here. But there are a lot of people, too, that kind of know only the Hollywood version of Mississippi. They've never been here. They don't know what it's like you know, to go to somebody else's church and have dinner on the grounds and sit across a plate of potato, potato salad and talk about high school sports. They don't know that. They don't know how folksy and charming we are. And so there is this perception at times about Mississippi and Mississippians. And people think, well, you know, I would love to have the job at Mississippi State. My family's got to live there. You know, I've talked to some people in the past and said, ah, oh, we just couldn't pull the trigger on that. You know, we just couldn't. You know, my wife just didn't want to live in Mississippi. And whether, you know, we're here and we think, man, we've evolved beyond all that. There is still this stigma out there among many people. It's like, I don't know if I want to live in Mississippi. You know, they see a movie or whatever. They, they see a soundbite or hear a soundbite and they see something on TV and they think, well, this is how all Mississippians are. And I, I submit to you, Mississippi has never been a more progressive state. That's not to say that we don't have, uh, you know, a lot of war wounds. A lot of our forefathers made a lot of mistakes on the wrong side of history in, in several respects. I used to always say that I felt like that my children, the, gener- the generation that will, that will succeed me, probably has the best chance at the quality Mississippians have ever had. I still believe that. I believe we have made a lot of progress. Not, not to say that we don't have a lot left to do. We do. But the reality of it is there's a lot of people out there that really don't know what kind of place Mississippi is. And they don't understand how wonderful Starkville and Mississippi State are. You know, we love it because we've grown up around it. We've experienced it. You know, many people just kind of moved here when they went to college. And they can't wait to get back, even if it's just for a weekend. There is just this atmosphere and vibe in Starkville to me that is unlike anything else. And that's not necessarily to attribute all of that to Mississippi State. 
there are some great people in Starkville that are in no way affiliated with Mississippi State. Oh, they'll pull for the Bulldogs, they're the local team. They don't have a real investment in Mississippi State. They're just good people. And so, you know, to me, you know, this is the best place I've ever lived, and I've lived all over. I love it here. I'm here until the end. As long as, you know, I guess, you know, I guess at some point if I can't take care of myself, my kids will have to make a decision about where I get my mail and where I lay my head, but I love it here. I plan to stay here the rest of my life. But not everybody shares that sentiment. And so that is something that will likely be a factor in these searches, unfortunately. And you hear that and you think, oh, Steve, I can't believe. No, it's true. It's true. I can't count the times that, uh, you know, we've had people that, uh, you know, we think, hey, you, you, you talk to their agent or you talk to somebody close to them. It's like, oh, yeah, he really wants a job. And then you go to the message board and you say, hey, I'm hearing some really promising things about this guy or this lady. And then two days later, you find out, ah, oh, man, they just they didn't want to move their family here. You know, um, but that's the reality of the situation. And so I just share that with you because uh, we, we're going to spend a lot of time here in the next few weeks talking about coaching searches and talking about college baseball. And hopefully we don't have a coaching search in college baseball uh, for generations. You know, my hope is we've got a generational coach in Chris Lamontis. I believe we do. Chris loves it here. We all love Chris. Teams won an AFL championship. We had a little bumps, a couple bumps in the road here early this year, but uh, I, I'm still confident in the team, and I, I feel a whole lot better about things from a pitching standpoint this weekend, this Monday, than I did last Monday. And I felt pretty good about our starting pitching, but I was kind of shaky about the bullpen. We're going to break some of that stuff down, too, uh, after the break. But I just want to kind of preface the show with saying, you know, we've got some things out there. There are going to be some news-making type situations here in the next few weeks. And it's important to kind of keep an open mind because here's what's going to happen as I have seen this movie several times before, is people put out there their list of, hey, this is what I think, this is, you know. And listen, that's a great thing about message boards is that it gives you a place, hey, if you, if you may be closely, you know, related to a potential candidate. Come out there and say what you got to say. If you got a voice, use it. You know, everybody else does, right? But I think it's important to understand sometimes we get really invested in our own wish list. And say, oh, well, I heard this. I talked to a guy who knows a guy that, uh, you know, had had lunch one time, you know, with John Cohen's secretary. And here's what he had to say. You know, and sometimes that can be a reliable source of information. But more times than not, it's not a reliable source of information. But what happens is, and I go back to the baseball search. You know, we're here in Dan McDonald. We're here in Tim Corbin. I never in a million years ever thought Tim Corbin would leave Vanderbilt. I think Tim was probably angling for a raise or whatever. He's got the best situation in all of college baseball with the with the loyalty foundation or whatever they call it up there, their uh, need-based aid they use. I mean, you know, it's not a level playing field, but we're not going to spend time on the show talking about that. So I never thought Tim Corbin was a serious candidate. I did think Dan McDonald was for a while. It didn't work out. But what happens is, you know, all of a sudden we don't get Dan McDonald. We don't get – you know, Tim Corbin, and there are some other guys out there whose names are mentioned. You know, we don't get Schlossnagel. We don't offer Schlossnagel. And then the perception is that we're in free fall. And that wasn't the case. And we end up getting Chris Simonis. We go out and hire a, a sitting Power 5 head coach from Indiana, a guy that's a relentless recruiter. 
he's exactly who we needed. And come to find out, he's the son of a Mississippi State grad, a guy that was born in Starkville. Little did we know that was the case. Probably couldn't have found a better fit. And so I just say that because I think it's important to everybody just hey, take a deep breath. Because we don't really know at this point who the truly viable candidates are. We, we know some. We do. And we've got some very knowledgeable posters over on the jeanspage.com uh, basketball message boards that probably like men's basketball better than any other sport uh, that we offer at Mississippi State. And so they're very knowledgeable and uh, very opinionated. And uh, so just because we see things a certain way today doesn't mean that we couldn't be happy with something else later. And I'm not speaking to you in code there. I'm just trying to explain to you that I think once this vacancy is officially open, and I do think that's what's going to happen on the men's side. I think it's just a matter of time. I don't think the field of candidates is going to narrow. I think it's actually going to widen. I think we will see more names associated with the search. And not all of them will be serious candidates, but we're going to have you know some new names that we might not be discussing today that may be a real topic of conversation later. So again, at the end of the day, it's about hiring the right coaches, whether it be Doug Novak, whether it be somebody else, uh, whether it be you know whoever on the men's side. It's about getting the best coach. I've shared with you my thoughts before on both sides. You know, we've got to have an exciting brand of basketball. We're about to renovate Humphrey Coliseum. Uh, we've got to be able to get people back in the seats. We've got to make the hump roar. You know, some of my favorite memories on this Mississippi State campus are in the Humphrey Coliseum, and that's not just because I saw Whitesnake there. You know, I was there when Charles Rhodes kissed the floor, as many of you were as well. It meant something special to me, like it did to all of you. And we all thought, you know what, this is our guy. And he is showing incredible love and loyalty to our university and to this basketball program for going out there kissing the floor, kissing the M-State emblem on the floor. That's one of those moments I don't think I'll ever forget. It's incredible. You know, but the bottom line is, is that I remember when Mark Godfrey and Alabama came in that day, I don't think they had a chance to win that ball game. You know, we were, you know it was the, the game to win the West, right? I drove up from Baton Rouge, brought my kid. Sat up there, had a great time. It was an electric atmosphere. I remember, I remember Noah and those guys from Florida, after they'd won an AFL championship, said the most difficult place that they played in during their careers at Florida was Humphrey Coliseum. And that is all of you. That is you. That is your contribution to this program. You buy season tickets, you buy game day tickets, and you come up and you bring your kids and you – and you yell like H-E-L-L, and you make this a difficult place to play. That's you. And as a university and as an athletic department, we've got to do a good job giving you incentive to come and make this one of the most difficult places to play in America, in all of college basketball. And I believe that's what we're about to do. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show. Love those guys to death, man. I will be in there this week when I can find some time. It's a busy week for me. I'll, I'll give you the schedule a little bit later. But um, I love Bulldog Burger Company. I can always make a little time for that. And the great thing is now, when I'm out and about in north and central Mississippi, I've got options. I can go to Bulldog Burger Company in Starkville, here on University Drive. I can go to Bulldog Burger Company in Tupelo on Gloucester Street. I can go to Bulldog Burger Company in the Lakewood, excuse me, the Flowood Lakeland area. You know what I'm talking about, right out there. 
It's a great new place. Go by and check it out. And that's the thing. This is basically the Bulldog Burger Empire. If you're looking for a great restaurant quality burger, it's a place to go. Absolutely is. Go by, have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. Get the chocolate shake to go. I'm, I'm a big fan of the uh, Shipway Donuts bread pudding too. It's a different, I'm a bit of a bread pudding connoisseur. It's a little bit different, you know, with the donuts. But go by and check that out. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, we spoke on Friday about how Mississippi State should dominate the weekend against Northern Kentucky. We absolutely should have. I'm not going to sit here and explain away that loss on Friday and say, well, you know, hey, listen, here's the deal. That's baseball. Yeah, it is. But the reality of it is we should have won the game. It was about us. And listen, yeah, give those guys a little credit for coming in here playing hard. And maybe we took them for granted a little bit, but uh, we blew it on Friday. We absolutely blew it. Should have been a sweep. This is the team that was a winless team. Their first win of the year against us. Pretty incredible to think about. Let's break it down real quick here. Uh, Game one, and that's what I think about too. Landon Sims, not especially sharp in the game. And Landon has pitched pretty well, had pitched really well against Long Beach State. And was just kind of hit or miss uh, last Friday. He's 0-2 on the year. I didn't have that coming. Did you? It's like, you know, we're sitting here with a winning record and our, our ace pitcher is 0-2. Uh, never expected that to happen. You know, we get through the ball game uh, Friday and it was it was cold. We didn't do a great job. We actually get off to a pretty good start, though. Uh, it's a 1-2-3 inning for Northern Kentucky and a uh, really good job for Landon to kind of get in and out there. And then we go 1-2-3 there in the bottom of first. Ground out, foul out, ground out. Uh, and it's tough to barrel balls up at times in cold weather. I think a lot of our issues on Friday especially, I think we're, I think we're too invested in being the church league softball team at times. Knowing it's 40-degree weather, the ball just doesn't travel. In that thick air, it doesn't. You know, we, we hit some dingers later in the weekend. Um, but, you know, you got to be line drive hitters. And that's the thing, too. A lot of times, too, when you're trying to hit a home run, you can't. A lot of times the home run is a mistake. You're trying to hit a line drive, and next thing you know, you get a little elevation on it, and it leaves a park. But um, you got to barrel things up. And and there's all these analytics. There's track man, all these things that kind of, you know, contract the trajectory and bat speed. You know, you want to generate bat speed on a level plane and hit line drives, hit hard ground balls somewhere. And I don't think we've done a good job of doing that. At least not in this ballgame, we didn't. I thought we were way out in front. He did a good job changing speeds, but that's the thing, too, is like when you recognize that, you got to make an adjustment. We still had a chance to win the ballgame. We blew it. Uh, so one, two, three there in the second, again, for Northern Kentucky. So through two innings, Landon Sims has faced the minimum. First hit for the Bulldogs is a Hunter Hines triple that really was misplayed by the center fielder. He comes in, the ball gets over his head into the wind, rattles around for a triple. We talk about being advantageous with timely hitting here. Runner at third, and you think, okay, look, we just need to elevate something, put something in play. We get Jaeger K's. Uh, Matt Quarter grounds out to third, and Hines scored. So we get, you know, it's a productive out. And then Cumbus is hit by the pitch. Callum Clark walks. And then we get a single from Tanner Laggett. And it was an absolute laser. It's the hot kid. I mean, he rips it back up the middle. Uh, Cumbus scored. It's a 2 nothing game. And at this point, it feels like we're just kind of on our way. 
Camden flies out to center, but it felt like, hey, we had an opportunity. We get a couple of balls on the ground. We get a couple of balls in play. We, we move the runners around. It is 2 nothing, and at this point, we have not allowed a base runner. A lot of ball game left, though, as you saw. Uh, there is an error on the third baseman, and I actually told the official scorer I did not agree with the, score, the, the scoring here. You got a right-handed third baseman playing off the bag, having to play back to his right. He gets a glove on it, knocks it down, and they, they charge him with an error. I would have given an infield hit. Just because a guy has a decent range doesn't mean that he should be held to a different standard. Uh, I disagreed with the call. Probably the only one I would disagree with all year. I thought it was a tough call. But at the end of the day, it doesn't change what happens in the inning. And then there is a bunt single, and this is the one, too, where he uh, he basically bunted it over Landon Sims' head right there in a no-man's land. Now, all of a sudden, we got runners at first and second. So we've had an error and kind of a fluke bunt, and we're in a jam. They pop up the bunt. We get out of it, get, get the one out there, and there's a strikeout look. And now, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, yeah, they've had a couple of silly things happen. We get two outs. We're a swing away from getting out of it. Then Voorhees singles to center. Then Glass doubles to center field. They clear the bases. Now it is a 3-2 ball game. 3-2. So, again, we're a pitch away, and we end up giving them three runs. Those are the kind of things that matter. And you, and I think we were all thinking, ah, it's no big deal. We'll be okay. Well, we weren't. We weren't. We foul. So we come back up in the bottom of third. We foul out. LT walks. Hines strikes out swinging. Jaeger's hit by the pitch. Again, now we got runners at first and second. And quarter lines out to center. Leave a couple runners on. Top of four, there's a single to left, but then Landon gets out of it. We get the walk, but then next thing you know, there is a fly out to short, runners hold, keeps the double play in order. We get a ground ball, we get out of it. A uh, 4 6 3 double play. So here, even at this point, I don't think Landon is at his best. You know, but we're, you know, we're right here in the mix that we're competing. And then we go one, two, three in the fourth. Pop out, strike out, strike out. That just can't happen. That's seven, eight, nine for you. Can't happen. Top of five, leadoff single. Then there is a line out to left. Then there is a double down the line. There's runners at second and third. Glass is walked at this point, uh, which, of course, puts a double play in order, forced at any base. We get a ground out to first unassisted. Had a chance to turn a double play here. We did. Just didn't handle it well. Uh, but the reality of it is, you know, you start putting people on, eventually it comes back to get you. Base is loaded. We only give up the one run. It's 4-2. Bottom of five, top of the order comes up. We go 1-2-3. In fact, the 1-2-3 hitters in this ballgame went 0 for 11. 0 for 11. And those are proven commodities. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, you know, you got new guys coming in. You expect there to be an adjustment. You know, quarters of a guy that didn't play in the fall. You know, Hunter Hines, a freshman, going to be a stud for us. But, you know, this is Cam, Luke, and Logan. These are guys with NAFL championship rings on their fingers. And it's 1-2-3. 0 for 11 in the ballgame. All right. We started getting top of six, and we, we brought in Parker Stanett for Sims. Now, here is my honest opinion about that. I don't know that Parker Stanett is quite ready to be the first guy of the bullpen on Fridays. And I'm not being critical of him. This is a guy, too, that's added a pitch. And I actually think that he is you know, better around the plate this year than he was last year. But first guy to pin on Friday, and, uh, you know, we, we right out of the gate, we were kind of in some trouble. Uh, 
we do get a K looking. There is a single. Then there is an error. And uh, it's this is one of those things too. We LT just made a mistake. Simple as that. I don't know if he was just trying to pump fake and the ball got loose. But then we get the strikeout looking. And then there's the wild pitch. And then there's a single. They tack on a run. And so it's like three hits in the inning. They tack on a run. It's five two. Bottom of six, Hunter Hines hits an absolute tank to right center. And again, this kid is a freshman. This kid's gonna this kid's gonna be a big time player. He'll be on the front of the media guide before he's done. Jaeger K swinging, quarter flies out to center, Cumbus flies out to right. So we can't do anything with it, but we'll be pulled within two. And at this point, I turned to a couple guys in the uh, press box and I said, you know what? Game's starting to get a little bit concerning. We're in the final three innings now, and he's thinking, hey, we gotta find a way here. Stinnett stays in. We give up a double down the line. We get a case swinging. I like to bring in Cam Tuller. We get a case swinging, and then there is a hit by pitch. And again, we're one pitch away from getting out of this. One. We give up a single, and then we walked in back-to-back runs to make it 7-3. to three. We bring in Stone Simmons. He gets us out of the inning. And so Cam Tuller has had back-to-back uh, subpar performances. And I think it's pretty safe to say at this point he needs to go to the midweek until he finds it. You know, last year there were times he was kind of up and down too, but there were some times he was very, very good. So he has the potential you know, to get SEC hitters out. And, and that's the thing that concerns you about this is that you know, you're walking guys. It'd be one thing you know, if you weren't just locating well and guys are putting the ball in play and you're getting hit a little bit. you got to go out there and compete. And so now all of a sudden we went from a concern to an absolute – Worry, a pit in the stomach type worry. It's seven to three in the bottom of seven. We're down to nine outs. We put together a little bit of a rally here. We get clinging back out of the game. We open up with a, a pinch hit walk from Drew McGowan. Uh, Tanner Leggett pops up to first. McGowan goes to second on a wild pitch. We walk Cam James. Downers runners at first and second. So you start thinking, okay, the, the tide runs on deck. James advanced to second on an error, and then McGowan goes to third. Now there's runners at two men in scoring position with less than two outs. And then Luke is hit by the pitch. Now the bases are loaded. And this is the moment I turned to uh, Mike Nemeth or maybe Brian Haydad, and I said, this is the kinds of moment when LT needs to come through to make it his team. These, the, This is the Tanner Allen moment, right? This is when T.A. would come up and have you know, a bases clearing double in the gap or something. Now, he may not have had that in February of 2021, but I thought these are the opportunities, you know, for LT and these other guys to kind of take charge of the team. So we do get a run home. We ground out to second, and uh, the run scores, and then Hunter Hines uh, strikes out swinging. And of course, I'm not going to be critical of Hunter Hines. The guy's got a triple and a home run to his credit already, but, you know, a base hit there changes the complexity of the ball game. And I'm sure Hunter Hines will tell you he should have come through there. All right, but now we're within three. You know, and again, you know, you got the bases loaded there. You got to be able to get a base hit, and that's the thing that really, I guess, irritates me when I when I, I look at this stuff. You know, there are so many times that we get runners on base, and we can't hit the ball out of the infield. We can't elevate something. We can't hit a line drive somewhere. Those opportunities are going to continue to come. We've got to come through and make people pay for it. All right, so we go one, two, three there in the eighth. Stone Simmons doing a great job. Probably the unsung hero of Fridays. And because we've lost both Fridays, and I said it last Monday too, it's kind of getting lost in the discussion. Stone Simmons is pitching outstanding. And I asked Chris Lamonis 
Friday in postgame. Should Stone Simmons be the first guy to bullpen? Uh, if if Landon can get you six or seven, I think Stone can get you home. Bottom of eight, Jaeger walks, quarter walks. Now all of a sudden, you know, we got runners at first and second, nobody out. We pinch hit with Von Siebert. What does he do? He singles through the left side. Now the bases are loaded with nobody out. Opportunity arises again. We had the rally in the seventh. We got a rally in the eighth. Chance for us again to kind of make this team our own. And then we do not hit the ball out of the infield again. It's it's infuriating. It really is. So McGowan grounds out, and then they force the runner at home. Tanner Laggett grounds out. We do get a run home then, makes it 7-5. Then there's a wild pitch. Skinner scores. Cam walks, and then Luke grounds out the first unassisted. So bases loaded, nobody out. We do get a couple runs here, but we could have had the really big inning and we couldn't hit the ball out of the infield. Those are the kind of things you look back at hindsight, and you're like, this is about us. This is not about them. This is about us. Top of nine, Stone again, lights out, one, two, three, and then what do we do? We go one, two, three there in the ninth. So very, very disappointing uh, result. An embarrassing result was the word that uh, Chris Amonis used. I concur with Coach. You know, top 10 team against a winless team. I don't think Northern Kentucky's had a winning season in 10 years or more. And now they've got a program defining victory. It's very, 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 very. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. Got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, It's easy to install. 
You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. And that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out, so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Very, very frustrating. All right, let's get into game two. Mississippi State played a lot better baseball this time, but again, we get behind early in the ballgame. Preston Johnson was your starter, and it really was Ben Girl. It wasn't Gerald. It's girl, Ben Girl. Interesting. All right, so Preston gets some one, two, three there in the first. We come out and actually put a few things together. A quarter hit and leadoff for us, flies out to right. Cam gets a single back up the middle. Hancock then singles. We've got runners to first and second. On a 3 0 count, LT lines out to left. I don't know that, honestly, when you've got a guy like that, when you've already got him on the ropes a little bit, I don't know that I want to swing on 3 0, but that's just me. Uh, Hunter Hines then walks to loads of bases. And uh, Brad Cumbus comes up. Uh, strikes out looking and at that point you're thinking okay this is the third time in the last four innings of baseball we have loaded the bases and not been able to get the big hit Uh, top of second Wakeham homers to right field and all of a sudden northern Kentucky's feeling their oats are off to a one nothing lead and then there's a double down the line we get a fly out a fly out to short and then we get out of the the jam with a uh, strikeout swinging to uh, to mitigate any further damage so it's one nothing after the top of second. We go one, two, three. That's Clark, Leggett, Forsyth. One, two, three. Lane strikes out too much looking for me. And I, and I don't know if that's a situation where we just got to get him in the film room. And, and I don't know. Maybe he's given up on that pitch away too much. I don't know. I, I think Lane Forsyth, when he hits a baseball, you can see this is, this is a guy that knows what he's doing. This is a guy that understands the mechanics of, of hitting the baseball. I think sometimes pitch selection is a little bit evasive, and maybe it's that, that breaking ball. Maybe he's giving up on the two-seamer too quick. I don't know. But we got to find a way to get that going. Uh, Northern Kentucky then goes one, two, three. Preston's starting to really settle down here. Bottom of third, State gets loose, finally. Quarter grounds out on a bunt. They walk Cam James. Luke gets a single. LT gets a single. Now, all of a sudden, base is loaded again. Again. Hunter Hines strikes out looking. And then Brad Combus, the mule, the very first pitch, hits a three-run tank, gets that going. So there's Brad coming through for you. 
And again, that big hit had remained elusive. We get it there. You get some separation. You get the crowd into the ball game. Uh, Clark then you know, pops out uh, to short on an 0-1 pitch. Uh, Preston comes right back, goes right to work, a strikeout looking, a fly out. We do walk uh, Noah Fisher and then strike out John Odom on three pitches to get out of it. At this point, Preston's starting to feel it a little bit. Uh, bottom of four, uh, Leggett grounds out, Forsyth walks, and a great at bat there. A great at bat there. He actually gets down in the count, worked his way back, earns the base on balls, and then still second. We've got a runner in scoring position with less than two outs, and then we can't get him in. Quarter strikes out looking, and Cam grounds out the short. Again, another opportunity for us to expand the lead, and, and we don't. Preston, however, is like, I got you guys, one, two, three. Great job there. And uh, you get the K, and you get a couple of quick flyouts there. Bottom of five, again, a chance for, uh, for State to do some things here, and we don't. You know, the control is kind of remaining a little bit elusive for these guys. You get a walk to Hancock. We hit into the double play. We walk Hines, and then Combus grounds out, and they force Hines at second. So, again, we could get a couple runners on, and we can't advance anybody. Top of six, we get a K swing, and there's a hit by pitch, and then a fly out and a fly out. At this point, I think we all start thinking, you know what, maybe this is what we need to do on Saturday. Maybe Preston Johnson is the dude. Bottom of six, uh, there's a leadoff walk. Uh, Slate offered for us. He's a leadoff walk there and really worked the count. Great job by him. We pinch run with McGowan, who's still second. So, again, a runner in scoring position with less than two outs, and we don't get him home. Strikeout swinging, strikeout swinging, and then there's a balk, and then quarter grounds out to third. So, again, runner at second, nobody out. We can't get the ball out of the infield in three at-bats. That, that's got to change. Top of seven, Skinner, stay, Skinner comes in for quarter. McGowan stays in at right. Uh, we get a fly out to uh, center field, and then there's the walk to Odom. At this point, Preston's kind of pitching on fumes. And we bring in Pico Cone, who comes in to Motley Cruz kickstart my heart, and uh, he already has a special place in my heart for that. And then at this point, and I don't think Northern Kentucky knew it yet, but the game was over. You know, Preston had already given us, uh, you know, really, what, six and two-thirds of an inning, did a great job for us. And Pico comes in for his second appearance of his college career, and I thought he was outstanding. He got a fly out to center on the very first pitch, and there's a strikeout looking. And nothing gets those young guys fired up more than fooling a guy. And so you get that, the, the K there, and uh, that ends the threat there in the, in the top of seven. And then State really expands the lead here. We talk about having the timely hit. This is where it comes. All right, so Cam James flies out. We get a walk to Luke Hancock, LT, then homers to left. Makes it a 6-1 ball game. Hines walks. They, they make pitch and change again. Compass then doubles to left field on the very first pitch. And that's what happens with Brad. If he gets a first pitch fastball and he doesn't miss it, there's usually some good things that happen. Compass then goes to third on a wild pitch. And uh, Jess Davis scores. It is now a 7-1 ball game. McGowan walks. Leggett flies out. And, again, this is just good situational hitting. You got a runner at third. I'm looking for something to elevate. He gets it on an 0-1 count, lifts it out to left, and Brad tags and scores. It's now 8-1. McGowan still second, goes third on a wild pitch. And it seems like Drew is the guy, too. When he's on the base pass, things happen. He forces a ball. Carey steals a base there. Uh, Forsyth then grounds out the short. So while we missed some opportunities and left the runner stranded, again, you get some good situational hitting here. And you begin to feel like, okay, this game is over. But more importantly, too, I think we're starting to gel maybe a little bit offensively. Uh, top of eight, we get a strikeout looking. Again, this is Cone back out there. 
fly out to center. There is then a double down the line. It got through uh, Luke Hancock over there at first, and then Ryan Glass flies out to center. 8-1 going to the bottom of eight. And again, State, again, just kind of tacks on here. Uh, infield single for Braylon Skinner, and then Cam James hits an absolute tank to left. It's now a 10-1 ball game. We talked about in the, the previous game how Hancock and LT and Cam went 0 for 11. This is where they begin to flex their muscle a little bit. Hancock then grounds out to first, LT grounds out to third, and Jess Davis strikes out looking. But it's a 10-1 ball game headed to the ninth. Uh, we make some pretty liberal substitutions here. But Pico Cohen's still on the mound. Get a pop-up to short, a single to left, a strikeout swinging, and then there's a ground out to third, and the ball game is over. And the thing, when I look, look back at this, you know, what stands out to me is, well, it's a 10-1 ball game. It's the pitching. That's the thing that we were all kind of shaky with. Is like, okay, you know, KC was kind of good and kind of not. And so – what do we do on Saturday? We make a change. I think Preston Johnson just absolutely outstanding. Yeah, Preston Johnson goes six and one-third innings, allows two hits, one run, K's five, walks two, had the one hit by pitch, 89 pitches, and a lot of flyouts. Pico Kahn comes in, finishes up there, two and two-thirds of an inning, very efficient, 46 pitches, allows two hits, no runs, no walks, three K's. That will work, young man. That And it's because of Motley Crue. It is. And then at this point, I'm going to make a suggestion to Chris Amonis that every pitcher, and maybe perhaps every player, and maybe every staff member, and maybe every fan have a Mississippi State walkout. Like where we go, you just hear, Miss, and hear Motley Crue everywhere. I think that's what needs to happen. So good job by Pico. And I think, again, you learn each week, and I think all of a sudden you figure out, okay, well, maybe, you know, we know what we have with Landon. We've got to work, we got to piece it together on the back end. So maybe it's a Landon Stone Simmons combo on Friday, and maybe it's a Preston Pico Con thing on Saturday. And of course, you'll have to match up at times. But all of a sudden, you start looking at Sunday and you think, you know what? Hey, Kate Smith, has there been a more consistent pitcher in the Mississippi State uniform this year than Kate Smith? I submit to you, no. There has not. Let's get into Cade Smith's uh, Sunday performance. And again, it's outstanding. I, and I was there to cover the ball game. And, uh, you know, it's the very the seven of the first nine hitters got a first pitch strike. We're going to get ahead. We're going to challenge you. Because you know, here's the thing the most important pitch in baseball is strike one. Let's say you throw that first pitch fastball, or they take it, and they come back and foul the breaking ball. Now it's 0-2. I can do whatever I want to do. When I have the advantage count, you've got to hit my pitch. You get behind somebody 2-0, you kind of got to give in to them a little bit. You know, they, got, they get their pitch. you got to kind of come to them. I thought Kate Smith did a great job of dictating terms. You come out, you get a ground out, then there's an infield single, and then a strikeout looking and a fly out to right field. So, again, two weekends in a row – they get a runner on first, and they don't do anything with it. Bottom of first, uh, Jaeger back in the order at lineup after a day off on uh, Saturday. Strikes out looking. Cam pulls one down the line and gets uh, you know thrown out, gets caught stealing there. Hancock is hit by the pitch, and then LT fouls out to first. Top of second, kid goes right back out there. It's a walk, and the next thing you know, there is uh, the sack bunt there. There's a ground out and a case swinging. Bottom of second, State builds a lead here. Hunter Hines singles to right, goes to second on a wild pitch. Quarter comes through with a single, drives in a run, it's one nothing. Cumbus then singles and takes 
they initially ruled it a double, I think. I have it as a single and an error, and it looks like they went back later and fixed it. But now there's runners at second and third, and we talk about this all the time. Now you've got runners at scoring position with less than two outs. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, we have Aaron Downs making his Mississippi State debut, knocks the baseball back up the middle and scores two runs. And here's the thing about Downs. When the ball comes off his bat, even when he's out, his outs are even loud. This is a guy that is making good, solid contact. You have not heard the last of him, I can assure you of this. We have almost an embarrassment of riches when it comes to these outfielders right now. And there's some guys that aren't even really hitting the baseball yet. Chris Lamontis talked about it last week. You got some guys out there last year. The depth on the pitching staff was the story. This year it's the position players. There is no doubt about it. And now we've seen downs. I think now you can begin to realize – Mississippi State has some real weapons, and it's just a matter of time before he, he hits a tank or two. Leggett flies out to center. Yeager flies out to left. James walks. Cam did a pretty good job. On base percentage is, is uh, moving up with him for sure. He'll let you walk him. Uh, Hancock then grounds out to second. It's a 3 nothing ball game. And then Cade goes 1-2-3. They're in the third. Bottom of third, we come right back and go to work. A single to left. Hines flies out to left. Quarter flies out to right. And then Cumbest with a two-run laser beam. Right over the left field wall. I mean, I honestly think the kid could have robbed it, but I think he thought, hey, it's going to go off the wall. And so he positions himself to play it off the wall, and it sneaks over the fence. So that's two home runs in two days of Brad Cumbest uh, to give State a 5 nothing lead. And then Downs grounds out to short, but again, he hit the baseball really hard. A top of four, we get a strikeout look, and there's a single to right. We pitch around that, get a pop-up to first, and another K. Bottom of four, State right back to work. Leggett grounds out the short. Jaeger lines out the third. And we put together a nice little two-out rally here. Cam James walks. Moving the lineup along. And Luke Hancock with his first home run of the year. An absolute tank job to right field. Now it's 7-0. LT is then hit by the pitch. And then Hines hits a fielder's choice where they force LT there at second. Uh, top of five. They finally get to us a little bit here. But it was really about us. We get a strikeout swinging. There's a single left. It's a wild pitch, allows the runner to move into scoring position. And then there is an error that allows guys to go to third. Then runners on a corner. And then there is a sack fly that allows the run to score. And, again, you play good defense here. And we have been a really good defensive team much of the year. You play good defense here, it's still a shutout. Bottom of five, not much happens for State. We get a pop-up from Skinner. Clark strikes out. Downs, again, singles back up the middle. Very well-struck ball. And then Leggett grounds out the short. Uh, top of six, we bring in Brandon Smith. Now, I'm a Brandon Smith fan. I know he didn't have a great outing last weekend, but what I love about Brandon Smith, this is a ground ball machine. When Brandon is on his game, he is going to roll up double plays. He's going to roll up ground balls. It's difficult to elevate. He throws a heavy ball. He really does. Does a great job here. Strikeout swinging, ground out the short, ground out the third, one, two, three in the sixth. Bottom of six, not much going on for State. They change pitchers. We get a strikeout swing and we fly out. We do get a late double down the right field line from Luke, and then LT strikes out swinging. So, again, runner in scoring position, we don't make the hit there. Uh, and that's kind of baseball sometimes, too. Didn't always work out the way you intended. But uh, top of seven, Brandon back to work again. Ground out to second. We get a K swinging. Then there's a hit by pitch and just a ball that got – it was a breaking ball that got away from him. It really wasn't a control issue. We just didn't execute the pitch. And then rather than compound the problem, he comes back and strikes the next guy out. So that's, again, back-to-back good innings from Brandon Smith. 
I'm a, I'm a fan. I, I really like his game. I think he's a guy that really helps us. Um, they make a pitching change. Hines then flies out to center. Skinner grounds out to the pitcher. They walk Kelm Clark. And then Downs grounds out hard to third. Top of eight. We bring in Brooks Auger. He was outstanding last weekend. And he was just a, he was just he was good. He wasn't as good as he was last weekend. But he gets the fly out. Then there's the walk. They pinch hit. There's a single. Niners runners at first and second. Another single drives in a run. Um, so it's uh, seven to two. But things are moving along here. I mean, it's like I didn't feel threatened at this point, but I like I would like the kid to have a little bit better outing. You're trying to find some consistency in the bullpen. Um, and so next thing you know, you know, we get out of it. You know, we go out there and we chat a little bit. Next thing you know, we were able to get out of this. Then we get a case swing and then a line out. And the ball was hit on the nose uh, right to left field, but we filled it and get out of there. It's a 7-2 ball game. Uh, bottom of eight, a lot of substitutions here. Uh, Von Siebert strikes out swinging. He's another guy that's hit the baseball hard when he's been in the ball game. Jaeger grounds out to third. Cam James ate an infield single. And then um, Luke Hancock lines out to center. So we get the top of nine. At this point, it's just a matter of uh, finishing up here. So we bring in Mikey Tepper. And this is one of those things, too. Is like you know, We need Mikey to be big. This guy has electric stuff. And he didn't have great command yesterday, but he's able to get out of it without any, any real damage. But it was a little interesting. It was. We get a fly out to center to open the inning. There's a walk, a case swinging, and then we walk. And all of a sudden, it's like, can we just finish the ball game? We get a fly out to center. But he had some balls that were hit pretty hard, and that's a bit of a concern. So I'm eager to see what Fox does with him. But the reality of it is we win the series. We had hoped to sweep the series. Uh, we're 4-3, and three, ranked ninth in the country according to D1 Baseball. Uh, we're going to be fine. And, again, every week you want to win, but you also want to learn, learn a little something about your team. I think we have. I think we have probably at this point have probably solidified the rotation for now. For now. I think this weekend when we play Tulane, you're going to roll out Landon Sims, Preston Johnson, Kate Smith. And I think you feel really good about that group. And I think now you're kind of establishing the roles. And begin to, you think back to that Friday game, number one, it should never have been that close. But it was. If, you, if Stone Simmons is the first guy to pin on Friday, it's a sweep. And you say, well, Steve, that's just speculation. You know, when you look at what Stone Simmons has done this year, I don't think he's allowed a base runner in two appearances. It's an outstanding effort. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of his, too. And so, uh, but that's your baseball weekend. Looking ahead to your baseball schedule, it is a very busy week if you have not paid attention. Uh, Tuesday, 4 p.m. start, Grambling is here. And then Pearl, Mississippi, we will be down there at Trustmark Park. Uh, believe you're going to be able to buy some dog pile books while you're there. We'll play Southern Miss Wednesday. That's a 6 p.m. first pitch. And then uh, I'll be with the team this weekend down in New Orleans as we uh, do cover Tulane. And then they'll take a day off and then be in Biloxi uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. And then be back in Starkville uh, for a weekend against Princeton. And I don't know if you notice, the Ivy League's been playing exceptionally well here. So uh, about to embark on a pretty serious road trip. Got six really good games coming up against teams that will be in contention for some, some uh, postseason baseball. So we're going to find out a lot about our team here uh, in the next week to ten days. All right, time for today's top 10 list brought to you by CloseBlair.com. You know Blair. He's my friend. He's your friend. He's a friend in the industry. That industry is the mortgage industry. He works at Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one. Number one in customer satisfaction. 
And Blair is a mortgage professional, been in the industry, man, uh, 21 years. Top 1% close ratio in the country. And here's the thing, too. He, he shared this with me recently. Fairway Mortgage ranked number two in top retail volume in 2021. That's nationally. $61.97 billion. This is a company that knows how to get things done. And then you're getting like their ace to come work for you, Blair Chandler. Follow him at closewithblair.com. But here's the thing, too. You know, we don't have to be quite so formal here on the show. You can call Blair directly because we're all just kin folks around here. 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Be sure and let him know that you heard about him on the barnyard and he'll pay for your appraisal. How about that? Just by listening to the show, we're saving you some money. A lot of fees associated with getting a mortgage closed. Our good friend Blair Chandler at Close with Blair will get you taken care of. Again, that's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. And mention you heard about it on the barnyard to get the great discount. How about that? Cool. All right, top 10. We're going back to some 90s rock. Roy is like, hey, we need a big week. We want to get some big numbers this week. And so uh, I had some people that hit me up and said, hey, Steve, what about this? And uh, one of my guys over at jeanspage.com had offered some suggestions. And he goes, hey, Steve, you haven't done Candlebox. And you're correct, I haven't. And I am probably a little more well-versed in the Candlebox catalog than many of you are. I love that first record. It went four times platinum. It's incredible to think about that. The debut album for Candlebox, four times platinum. Now, this band started back in 1990. It was kind of a slow burn for them. They actually released their self-titled album in 93, and then it didn't really kick off until 94. It was just really a slow burn for this band. Kevin Martin, an incredible singer and songwriter. But the reality of it is, is this is a band, to be, to be quite fair, that came out swinging and then kind of went out ducking, you know, underneath the ref a little bit. It's like you had this great debut. I couldn't wait for the follow-up. Lucy, I got my hands on it, and I was disappointed. I, I was disappointed in Lucy. There were a couple of high, high marks on that album, uh, but I felt like they got a little too technical. It's like, you know what, hey, let's, you know, let's get back to what we do. And so when they released Happy Pills, it was a little more like the first album, but I think in many respects they had kind of lost their appeal a little bit. You know, they had some guys kind of come and go from the band. Uh, but I've listened to every Candlebox album in its entirety when I travel sometimes because I really like Kevin Martin. I had a chance to meet Kevin at Rocklahoma a couple of years ago thanks to my friend Mark Fuller uh, that works out there in, uh, in Tulsa. But um, I had a chance to meet Kevin and uh, heard the great story about him and Andrew Wood and and there were a lot of people that kind of said that Candlebox was kind of a post-grunge band because they were from Seattle, but um, they weren't really like a lot of their contemporaries from Seattle, and they weren't. But it was kind of, they were kind of unfairly maligned. It's like they kind of rose to prominence just as grunge was beginning to fade. And you say, hey, Steve, no, no, I'm right. You know, grunge came around in 91, and it was gone by the end of 93. And so... Candlebox, in many respects, kind of considered post-grunge alternative. But uh, here are a few honorable mentions. He Calls Home is a song that I think is fabulous off the first album. It's, a, it's really a song about humanity. Uh, Arrow is another one that doesn't get enough mention. Don't You, of course. And then Best Friend. Best Friend. All right, here are my top ten Candlebox tracks. You may disagree. If you do, you're wrong. Uh, you can have your own list and your own show. Uh, you'd be incorrect. 
Uh, number 10, from the album Disappearing in Airports, it's uh, Vexatious. The last top 40 uh, Billboard charting single, and they have released an album, Wolves, here in the last few months that uh, has some promise. But uh, Vexatious is one that, uh, to me, kind of sounds a little bit, it's a little more radio-friendly, but it's more like the first album in many respects. Uh, number nine from the album, Into the Sun, it's the song Stand. This is another one of those songs, too, that uh, I think, if you're unfamiliar with it, I think that you will find it uh, very listenable very early in the process. Number eight, this might be my favorite deep track off the debut album. And it's the song Blossom. I absolutely love this song. Uh, I think it's one of those songs, too, that um, you know, maybe you meet somebody that uh, is a little down on their luck or whatever. Maybe they're dealing with some self-esteem issues or whatever. And I, that's the message I take from this is that, you know, you, you blossom. You know, it's like you meet that person in your life that believes in you and shows some faith in you and they kind of help you discover your authentic self. That's, to me, what this song is about. Number seven, off the album Happy Pills. It's 10,000 Horses. And uh, again, this is one of the more successful singles on the album. I think you will dig it. It's not my favorite song from Happy Pills. It is my second favorite one. Number six, a song that had a lot of radio airplay off the debut album. It's Change. And uh, I love the vocal on this. I think Kevin really delivers some real punchy lines here. In many respects, I think this was probably, as the album cycle kind of began to fade, it was like they, they re-released it as a single. Because that was, if I'm not mistaken, that was the debut single off the album. It just kind of failed to generate some buzz. But after they found some notoriety, had a couple million album sales under their belt, they re-released it. Number five, my favorite song from Happy Pills is It's All Right. And again, this is one of those ones that has a great chorus on it. Uh, it's one of those songs, too, that I think is uh, just kind of reminds you, too, no matter what happens in life, we're going to make it. We don't always have to be down and despondent. We're going to find a way to make things happen. It's all right. Uh, number four, in my mind, the best single off of the Lucy album, which is the second album from Kind of Box, is Simple Lessons. Simple Lessons. And to me, of all the songs on Lucy, this one sounds the most like the first album. I figure it was probably an outtake from the first album. And maybe they didn't finish it, or maybe Kevin wasn't quite uh, wanted to massage it a little bit, so they saved it for the second album. I think of the tracks on Lucy, it sounds the most like the recording sessions from the first album. All right, so now we're down to the final three. And I think most of us would probably agree these are the top three. Uh, maybe you would disagree with me on number three. Maybe we could fight about that. Again, you would lose that too. But it's you. Uh, and, and maybe one of the things that I like about this, this is, you know, I, I'd been sober a couple of years and uh, really involved in the AA and the NA community. And um, one of the song, the, the, one of the lyrics on this one is, uh, you know, don't you put your drugs in my face. Uh, and so because of the fact that life was still kind of new and rebounding for me, this album really resonated with me. And that was one of those songs, for, you know, for me that I kind of, it was a personal takeaway, even though it had some success as a single too. Uh, number two, and there are times that I can say this is my favorite Candlebox song. Now, I can't in good conscience make it number one because they had what I consider to be an iconic song of the 90s that is number one. But to me, the layout of this song with the acoustic at the beginning and then the way that it just jams, this to me, this is a masterpiece of a song, and it's Cover Me from the debut album, Cover Me, 
from Candlebox. I think this is the Candlebox song. If you want to know, I don't mean the one that had the most airplay, but if you want to see them at their best, I think this is it. I think the lyrics are great. I think Kevin's delivery of it is great. I think, you know, the arrangement is just spectacular. Cover Me from Candlebox. I can't like that song enough. I like it more than a friend. And number one, it's far behind. And we've all been there. And I've shared with you this before, too. Kevin Martin uh, made the comment about this song is about Andrew Wood. And Mother Love Bone and Candlebox had had, um, you know, maybe some difficult times uh, when they were in the Seattle scene trying to make it. And, and uh, you know, Kevin has said that he had uh, had said some things and done some things that he was ashamed of. And when they were getting ready to go record the debut album, the, the rehearsal hall that they used was the former rehearsal hall of Mother Love Bomb. And Andrew, at this point, had already passed away. And he said he walked in there and he felt the ghost of Andrew Wood. And he said, Andy, I didn't mean to treat you bad, but I did it anyway. And, of course, that became you know, kind of the signature lyric of the song Far Behind. And so that song is actually not about a relationship between a man and a woman, even though it can be, or, or any two people, whatever. Um, it was really kind of Kevin's lament about the bitterness that existed between he and Andrew Wood when he passed away. So there you go. You left me far behind. Uh, I dig it. I love Candlebox. Uh, but, again, they didn't have the staying power. They, reu- they, they had disbanded in 2000. They reunited in 2006 when Ronnie Records released like the best of Candlebox. And they began to kind of do some one-offs and begin to tour again. They put some albums together. Uh, so, yeah, maybe rediscover Candlebox today. How about that? Happy to help. Uh, be sure and check the list out on uh, Spotify. Roy will have it out there. And then, of course, our good friend Izzy Mandelbaum will have it on Apple Music for you as well you can find that on uh, my social media as well let's take some time too to uh award our prime shrimp player of the weekend and our prime shrimp player of the weekend regardless of sport is brad cumbest brad cumbest of the mississippi state diamond dog baseball team as you guys know brad had a couple big home runs over the weekend let me give you some more information about brad in case you're unfamiliar and you should you should know brad really well he's one of us to say the least uh, Brad Cumbus right now leading the team in batting average. Were you aware of that? No, you weren't. Well, now you are. Brad Cumbus now hitting 450. He has started all seven games. He has 20 at-bats. He has scored eight runs, has nine hits, which, of course, uh, is tied for the team lead with Luke Hancock, has two doubles, which is tied for the team lead, and has two home runs, also tied for the team lead, and seven RBI, which is uh, second on the team. 17 total bases, leads a team, a slugging percentage of 850, which also leads a team among the regulars. On base percentage, 500, and, and playing an outstanding uh, defense too. Yeah, got a 1,000 fielding percentage, and then two for two in stolen bases. Brad Cumbus having the breakout season here in the early going. That is your prime shrimp uh, player of the weekend. And uh, real quickly here too, uh, I tried the Louisiana Shrimp Bowl over the weekend. That's the new flavor. If you guys are unfamiliar, let me let me just kind of tell you how this thing works. They're uh, they're debuting new flavors. We've got we've got the signature seasoned, which is great, and then there is the French Quarter Alfredo, also great, and you can serve that whatever like a a bed of fettuccine noodles or whatever you like. And then there's the Louisiana Crab Bowl, which is a brand new one, brand new one. 
And that's the thing, too. Prime shrimp, been doing this forever and a day. Been peeling shrimp in the in New Orleans area since the 1940s. Proud to debut their new products. And here's the deal. By being a Boneyard listener, you go to primeshrimp.com and use promo code Boneyard. Save you some money right out of the gate. Save you some money right out of the gate just by being a listener to our show. It's 20 bucks. 20 bucks. And you're going to like that Louisiana shrimp ball. I, I promise you, you are. 20 bucks off the first order. And, and so here's the thing, too. We have you know, different promotions from time to time. The Boneyard code is going to save you 20 bucks permanently. How about that? So 20 bucks on the first order. Go to primeshrimp.com today and use promo code Boneyard to save 20 bucks. And I, I can't recommend their products highly enough, especially the Louisiana Crab Bowl. All right, let's get into our next segment of the show, uh, Men's Basketball, brought to you by Campus Bookmark. Stand and man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. Everybody there will treat you like family because in their minds you are family. It's as simple as that. The latest in Mississippi State merch available to you at all times, whether you be in town or out of town. You can visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Love Campus Bookmark, man. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Love going in there. Because they always seem to have like the best and newest stuff. You know, there are a lot of people that sell Mississippi State shirts and merch, but uh, they just keep it fresh at Campus Bookmark. Go by and check them out. And again, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmark.net. Uh, promo code BSR, of course, to get you free shipping. On all orders, over 50 bucks. All right, let's talk a little basketball. So Mississippi State wins the, uh, wins the game over Vanderbilt. And uh, listen, here's the deal. They had every opportunity you know, to kind of fade in this game. They didn't. Yeah, I just feel like it's just a little bit too late. I think many of you feel the same way. But, um, you know, the reality of all this is that, uh, you know, we're reaching the end. Mississippi State now 17-12. and 12. And uh, as much as I hate to say it, I, I said about a month ago I thought we were going to finish 17-13 and 13 and 8-10 and 10 in the league. And uh, it looks like it's shaping up to be that way. I think they could probably win at A&M. I just don't feel good about Auburn. And I know that Auburn's without a point guard, um, but the reality of it is that they're so athletic. They're not playing great basketball right now. I, I don't feel quite as um, intimidated, I guess, by that date as I did earlier in the season. And that would be huge. You, know, you get that quad one win. I mean, you know, then you win it at A&M. Maybe you win a game or two in the tournament. Maybe you can uh, make it interesting again. I just don't feel it, you know. Um, Auburn is just so athletic. But um, we do take care of Vanderbilt. And I think that is, uh, you know, this time last year, you know, we're trending towards a tournament. And then Vanderbilt came in here and absolutely dismantled us. I was really pleased, like many of you, with Tolu Smith. I think Tolu is a guy – you know, he has been been hurt a lot this year, and he's missed a lot of time. And I think we're finally got – that's the thing, too. He's finally healthy, and he's playing up to his potential. And we're running out of games. Scotty Pippen Jr. goes off for 32 points in the ball game, and we, we kind of knew that we, that was going to be the case. But uh, we kind of did a good job of shutting everybody else down. Uh, Quentin Muller-Brown had 10. Jordan Wright had 10. But outside of that, they didn't have much. It was kind of a one-man show, and we were able to kind of close that thing out late. How many times have we played a game and it's been tight late and we hadn't been able to finish? 
Well, we're down two at the break, and then we outscore Vandy by seven in the second half. Put together a 44-point uh, second half. Pretty outstanding effort there. Uh, but let's kind of go to these crucial moments late in the game. I mean, how many times, again, how many times have we seen it? You know, State gets up uh, by 10, right around nine minutes. Uh, we make a free throw here. We go up 11. And then they kind of carve in lead a little bit, and it's kind of back and forth for a while. And then right as we get to around the four-minute mark, all of a sudden Vandy has made a run. Scotty Pippen Jr. knocks down a three. The Bulldog lead is down to three at the four-minute mark. That has kind of been the witching hour for the Bulldogs, right? It's from four minutes on, we have kind of imploded at times and kind of got caught watching the game instead of playing and coaching the game. Uh, Tolu makes one of two that pushes the lead back to four, and then you know, Melora Brown makes a layup. Now it's just a two-point game, and I will be honest with you, at this point I'm kind of gritting my teeth a little bit. We miss the jumper, but we get a foul down low on the rebound on Jordan Wright. Tolu steps up, knocks them both down. Such a huge, huge pair of free throws there. We foul, allow them to get to the line, and then they miss them both. We get the ball back, and we're kind of going back and forth here. Tolu makes a foul right on the two-minute mark. They knock down a pair of free throws, and now it is a two-point game. At this point, I'm thinking Scottie Pippen's going to get a steal and a dunk or – knock down a three, and we're going to foul them, and we're going to, we're going to blow it. We didn't. We didn't. Iverson Molinar kind of – I won't say that he takes over the game this time because um, he did have a turnover late there. But I think one of the things that happened, I think he played within himself and allowed the game to come to him a little bit more rather than kind of forcing the action. You make the jumper here to push us back up four. Uh, Scotty Pippen, they have to foul at this point, you know, because we they missed the layup. And Jordan Wright will probably tell you he should have made it. We get a rebound. They foul DJ Jeffries. And uh, DJ has actually been decent as of late from the line. He knocks them both down, pushes the lead back out to six. And at this point, we all kind of began to feel it, even though it's like, you know, 40 seconds to go. We end up fouling, which was kind of silly, but we did. They knocked down both of the free throws. And um, – it becomes a free throw shooting competition that Mississippi State ultimately wins. They got it to within two points with 13 seconds to go. Needed to get a turnover. Needed to get a steal out of the full court press. They don't. We get the ball into Molinar, and at this point, the game is over. He knocks them both down, makes it a two-possession game with 13 seconds to go. State wins. State wins. So, the reality of it is, is uh, this is a ball game we could ill afford to lose. I just feel like it's a little bit too late. I think we all kind of feel the same way. Now, is it out of the realm of possibility that State can make the tournament? Well, well, no, but it's not real probable, and it doesn't appear to be real plausible at this point. We will take on Auburn on Wednesday, and so we will preview that game on the Wednesday show. But let's take a quick peek at Auburn, too, just to kind of see how they have played as of late. They have not been the dominant team that they were earlier in the year. Uh, now, of course, people get some film on you, that sort of stuff. There are injuries. There are things that happen. You know, it's a long season. A lot changes. It's interesting, too. I pulled this up here, and I just see that um, Lionel Little Train James passes away. Auburn basketball legend. That's crazy, man. 
Thoughts and prayers to the family. Okay, so let's look uh, real quickly here. Auburn loses over the weekend. They're 25-4 and overall, 13-3 and uh, in the league, and, of course, still in position to win an SEC championship. Uh, but when you look kind of down the stretch here, they have not been, you know, what they were. But they are still a team, if you get a little bit lax with them, they will, they will put it on you. Uh, since the SEC Big 12 challenge, they, they embarrass Oklahoma. 86-68. And then they beat Alabama 100-81. They barely win at Georgia 74-72. Then they lose at Fayetteville. We all watched that game. It was a great college basketball game. They couldn't close the deal. Uh, made a couple threes late to kind of extend the game, but just never really, you know, never really seemed like they were going to win it late. They embarrass A&M 75-58. Then they win over Vanderbilt 94-80. They lose at Gainesville 63-62. That's a big win for Florida. And then they beat Ole Miss 77-64. And then they lose on Saturday uh, at Tennessee. And so a little bit of a bump in the road here. Are they vulnerable? I don't know. Can we win the game? I don't think so. Uh, but we'll talk about it a little more on Wednesday. But I think the reality of it is is that we have a uh, – you know, we have a team that's playing its final home game, and uh, many of these players are not expected back next year. There, there will be a nucleus of players that are back, but there are some that will have a decision to make. Uh, and a lot of it, I think, is going to depend on, um, you know, what we do in the offseason. What are we going to do? Uh, I think this is one of those deals, too, where this is a very, very important week in, in many respects uh, for the future of the Mississippi State men's basketball program. And I think we all – uh, probably have a pretty good idea what's going to happen here. But, uh, you know, let's say if Auburn – if State could beat Auburn and then beat A&M and all of a sudden – all of a sudden you've got that quad one win, you pick up a big road win, now all of a sudden you're 19-12 and 12 and 10-8 and eight in the league, and let's say you win a game in a tournament, it's not completely out of their own possibility that you can make a tournament. I just think in the end here, I, I think that we're just kind of coming to the end of the road. Uh, I really do, and, and I, I think that they're. I think the kids are frustrated. Uh, I, I feel confident that the staff is frustrated. I know the fans are frustrated. And listen, this is not some loaded team. Is this a team that has a talent to make the NCAA tournament? Absolutely, it is. Absolutely, it is. But we're not going to make it. And there have been some teams. You know, Barnes, you know, something great. But um, we have had some teams in the past that have been more talented than this. And that, that's not really the issue. You know, it's like we kind of can get caught up in comparison. But the reality of it is, is we have the talent to make the tournament this year, and we're not going to make it uh, for the sixth time in, in seven years. And you say, well, and that's the thing, too, that there's this revisionist history. There's some people out there that say, well, you know, if we hadn't had the quarantine, we'd have made the tournament. The guys, no. We were going to have to win two games in a tournament. And that was Kentucky and Florida. You mean, you, you, honestly, honestly. We weren't going to win those games. You say, well, Steve, you don't know that for sure. And you're right, I don't. But when I read these comments, people are like, oh, we would have made it. No, we were not projected to be in the tournament. It was well known that we needed to win a game or probably two uh, to make the tournament back then. But at the end of the day, this is where we are. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's been a grind. You know, it, it really has. And it, that really kind of predates Ben Howland, too. I mean, it goes back to all the, the issues we had towards the end of Stansbury. There were so many people that were ready for us to move on. There were so many people that said, you know, 
you know, he just can't win the big one. We can't ever get out of the first weekend of the, uh, you know, of the NCAA tournament, and we couldn't. And we had a great team. I mean, 2014, one of the better teams that we've had, you know. Um, and that's the thing that really frustrates you. It's like this, you know, this is this, quote, slide, you know, well predates Ben Howen, and he has put us in a much better situation as a basketball program. You know, and that's the, the thing that I think people – you forget about is how bad it got into Rick Ray. I mean, absolutely did. I mean, it's, you know, Rick Ray, a great guy. Just he couldn't win here and he couldn't win at SEMO. And those are the things that, you know, I, I go back and look at here. I'm going to run these things. It's down real quick here for you. So, you know, with Stansberry, we were always kind of on the roller coaster. We recruited well, but we didn't always play well. And so we get down here like towards the end of the – you know, the Rick Stansberry era, you know, we, we make the 9 tournament and we lose in the first round. That was disappointing, to say the least. We end the year 23-13. and 13. We were a 13 seed that year. Um, didn't work out for us. The previous year, we were an 8 seed. We lose in the second round. And so we get into the uh, 2010 season, and we got as high as 18th in the polls and then missed the tournament. 2011... 17 and 14, unranked, missed the tournament. 2012, we got as high as 15 in the polls, didn't make the tournament. So, of the last seven years of the Rick Stansberry era, we missed the tournament five out of seven times. And then he, quote, retired, which didn't make a lot of sense to most of us back then. Absolutely didn't. We bring in Rick Ray. We go 10 and 22. And then 14 and 19, and then 13 and 19. I looked this up earlier today because somebody asked me on Gene's page. Rick Ray 0 and 7 against the top 25 in his three years. And the league wasn't good. That's the thing. The league was not good. There were some jokes. We might even not, might even get the automatic qualifier some years. So Hallam comes in. We go 14 and 17 in year one. But here's the deal about that year is even though we had the losing record, it felt like we were really trending in the right direction. You know, we'd like, hey, Ben Howen is here. This has got its one. You know, we, we struggled a little bit in that opening game against uh, Eastern Washington. We ended up blowing them out late. And so we win the first game of the era. But when you get down here late in the year in SEC play, we were a tough out. And I thought, yeah, hey, this is – we're building. We're building here. We really are. Uh, the, you know, the big win over Vanderbilt and Humphrey Coliseum, you know, when Q hit the big shot at the buzzer to beat them. Huge early win for us. And then we, we go to, to Coleman Coliseum and we beat Alabama. We, we go and play Texas A&M and we lose by just two. And in South Carolina, we go and beat them 68-58 and we lose at Oxford but it was, a, it was a tough ball game. And then we close out with a big win over Auburn, 79-66, in a regular season. So it's like, you know, hey, we had the losing season, but we're trending in a, in a good direction. And those are the things you look at. And you begin to think, okay, well, you know, what, what's kind of next from here? Well, you know, the reality of it is, is we got better every year, you know, for a stretch there. You know, we go 14 and 17, then 16 and 16, and even then, you know, we knew we had some younger guys like Q that were kind of finding a sense of themselves. And then 18, 25, and 12, which is the high point of the Ben Howland era. 
record-wise. We go 23 and 11 and make the tournament in 19. And then we're 20 and 11 uh, and 20. And then 18 and 15 last year, 17 and 12. So it's like now, now we're kind of trending back in the wrong direction. But we kind of peaked, you know, 18, 19 there. And, of course, that's when the Robert Woodard and uh, Reggie Perry and those guys are here. And, and uh, the thing that I go back to, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, Steve, what, what do we have to do? Well, we've got to have the right coach. We've got to have the right fan sport. We've got to have the right facilities. We've got to be able to recruit the right at the high level. And I think a big part of that, I think one of the things of getting you guys back is the renovation of the Humphrey Coliseum, but I think also, too, it's the brand of basketball. I mean, it's the same old hump, right? I mean, we, we didn't come to the hump for the luxurious seats. I mean, they've done a good job. You know, we've upgraded the scoreboard and the floor and all that kind of stuff, you know, and that, that stuff happens from time to time anyway. Uh, and and it's, it's a nice atmosphere, like the pregame introductions, all that's great, but it's the same old hump we're used to. It's just not like we're staying away because the hump is bad even though we all agree it needs to be updated modernized. We have definitely fallen behind uh, the rest of the league when it comes to the venue, and we're fixing it. But we've got to put a better brand of basketball on the floor. We have to. We, we, it's, you know, it's not fun to watch this group. We talk about offensive efficiency and things like that. Guys, we're not winning games. We're not scoring enough points. And so we can get caught up in everything else and the analytics and all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, it's about wins and losses. It's about NCAA tournament appearances. And so that's kind of where it stands today. And I think that everybody will kind of agree that, um, you know, barring something totally unforeseen, we're going to see, you know, a coaching change here at the end of the year. And I, I think it's going to be a relief for all of us, to be honest with you. I think it's just time for us to move forward. I think we need new blood in the program. And I think, too, if you're going to spend all this money to renovate the Coliseum, I think you need to have somebody with a vision. You know, somebody that comes in and says, hey, this is what we're going to do for Mississippi State. Uh, I like to get the up-and-comer in many respects, especially on the basketball side, because I, I feel like they have something to prove. You know, the Rick Ray hire was, uh, it was, a, it was a mistake. It was awful. You know, and that's the thing, too, you look at, and, you know, in hindsight, it's like, you know, all that stuff that happened with Rick was, um, was difficult to explain, but it set us back. And then you go get Rick Ray, who wasn't even the first chair assistant at Clemson, and you hire him, and, uh, again, a great guy, just they couldn't win. We couldn't win. You know, and I think probably the, the marquee moment for him is uh, his exchange with Marshall Henderson when we lost the game at Oxford. We, he had to apologize for it. I, I don't know that he should have. Let's get into the final segment of the show brought to you by friends at Portico. Love Portico to death. If I was moving to Starkville, that's where I would move. Portico. It's 1.1 miles from the Mississippi State campus. How cool is that? 1.1 miles away. And it's on the best side of campus. It's the quiet side of campus. You know, it's not over there on the business side where there's all this hustle and bustle. It's kind of tucked away there. You make that turn off 82 on a 12, take a ride on Pat Station Road. That'll take you across all West Point Road. Boom, there you are, Portico. So you're not like right up there on the highway. You're conveniently located to both 8212 and 25, but you're not on the highway. I encourage you to give our friend Brooks Bryan a call or text today, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. Outstanding. I think if I was moving today, I'd probably get the three-bedroom, three-bath home because I would want like uh maybe like an office to myself and have the master bedroom and then like have the one bedroom because I don't want too many people to come and stay. 
right? But you may feel differently. Maybe you want the four-bedroom. Maybe you want the two-bedroom. I don't know. Maybe you're going to retire there, and you're thinking, we're downsizing. Give Brooks your information, and he will uh, he'll get you taken care of because you can <laughs> – yeah, we get a little excited at times around here. But, uh, yeah, let, let's, you know, you got a chance to, uh, to pick out your house plans or your, your lot if you call Brooks and uh, let him know what's going on with you. Let's talk women's basketball. There is still a lot of support for Doug Novak. There is uh, no question. And, uh, you know, I think that is, um, number one, says a lot about Mississippi State fans and also about uh, Doug Novak. Uh, I still don't think that he is going to be the guy. Now, that's not to say that he is not in contention. I believe he certainly is. Uh, I've shared with you guys uh, many times on the show that uh, I think initially he was not a candidate. But I think what he's done with this team and the support that he's gotten among the fan base, I think he kind of played his way into contention. Uh, I don't in any way believe that he is a front runner at this point. I do believe that it is uh, impossible to rule him out but I think it's also, too, you know, the expectation is that we're going to go in a different direction. Now, the ladies played over the weekend, too, and uh, it was senior day. It didn't go the way we wanted. But, goodness, man, again, the ladies play hard and uh, really put on a show for our fans there in Humphrey Coliseum. And for those of you that were in attendance, uh, you know, thank you very much. The reported attendance, 4,840. And it's senior day. It's one of those, you know, it's a sad deal. But Mississippi State – does a great job getting out of the block. 17-16 leaders after one, 28-22, uh, second period for Arkansas. It is a dead even heat there in uh, the third period. And then Arkansas, you know, much like we've seen as of late, just had a little too much juice there uh, in the fourth. But, uh, again, State got in there and really, really battled. Anastasia Hayes with uh, 20 points. Uh, Jaquelia Jordan with a dozen. Maya Taylor with 11. She announces that she does plan to play another year. Doesn't know if it'll be here or somewhere else. Is she a grad transfer? We don't know. Uh, Charlotte Cole. Wow. 10 points, 18 rebounds. What a tremendous effort. And 11 of those on the defensive end. Outstanding effort. Uh, Bree Thompson, uh, nine points for her. All three of those coming by way of a three-point shot. Ashley Jones with 17. A nice effort from her off the bench. And then A's when Hayes ace uh, didn't score. And a uh, bit of a surprise there, I guess you could say, but uh, five rebounds for her. But the reality of it is, is, you know, we had kind of played our way into contention uh, for the NCAA tournament. Those, those days are behind us. You know, we have, uh, you know, we have not – I hate to say we hadn't played well. We have played as well as we can with the players available to us, but we have ended the year on a five-game losing streak. Now – no matter how it goes the rest of the way, we're going to end the year with a winning record. And considering the challenges that we have faced, that is a major accomplishment. This could have very easily been a single-digit win type season. Uh, the ladies didn't quit. The remaining coaches didn't quit. The fans didn't quit. And uh, I have a lot of respect for everybody involved with that. But uh, we're going to get ready to play the SEC Women's Tournament now. And so – let me, let me break down the bracket for you, for those of you that maybe are unfamiliar uh, with this in our, our final few minutes here together. So Wednesday, it all gets started at 11 a.m. Uh, of course, the tournament is at the Bridgestone Arena up in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, A&M versus Vanderbilt, that is your first game. That is a 12-13 game. And then Alabama and Auburn will get together and play the second game on Wednesday. 
Thursday is when Mississippi State will play. We are an evening game. Uh, but the early game on Thursday is Arkansas versus Missouri. That is an 8-9 game. The second, the afternoon matinee is going to be Florida versus the A&M Vanderbilt winner. Georgia will then play, excuse me, then Kentucky will play Mississippi State. Now that's, again, Kentucky's playing really good basketball. We get them on a neutral floor. You know, we went up there, they got us. Uh, we could get them. We'll see what happens. But uh, that, that could also be a game that it really gets away from us. It could be. Georgia will then play the winner of game two, which is the Alabama-Auburn game. So once we get into Friday, uh, you know, we'll kind of see if Mississippi State remains alive in the tournament. But uh, we'll, we'll take a quick look at Kentucky on the Wednesday show. But the uh, reality of it is, is, you know, we're, we're nearing the end of this thing. And, uh, you know, looking at, uh, you know, the bracket and the final seedings and that sort of stuff, uh, not a lot of huge surprises, shall we say. I think everybody would probably agree with that. South Carolina, you're one. LSU, you're two. Tennessee, you're three. Ole Miss, you're four. And they've hung in there most of the year right there with the top four or five. Florida, with a late surge this year, uh, gets the five seed. Georgia, the six. Kentucky, the seven. Arkansas, the eight. Missouri, the nine. And State, your tenth seed. Alabama, 11. Texas, 12. Vanderbilt, 13. And Auburn, 14. That's how it all shakes loose. And uh, the fact that we're not playing the first day of the tournament, again, kind of a tribute to the, the, uh, the ladies and everybody involved with Mississippi State uh, women's basketball. The thing that I will say about all of that this year is there were a lot of people that would have said, hey, you know, listen, this isn't what I signed on for, and so I'm done. I'm just going to collect my check and get out of here. I expect Mississippi State to do a good job taking care of Doug Novak uh, you know, whether he gets a job or not. I don't think there's any question about that. All right, let me give you the schedule. Uh, I'm going to be at Reed's this afternoon, Reed's uh, Gumtree Books there in Tupelo, if everybody is familiar with that. So if you're in the greater Tupelo area, come out and uh, get copies of Dogpile. I don't know what else they have of mine, but I know Dogpile will be there. It is a busy, busy week for me, uh, but you're still going to get your shows. How about that? Yeah, I, I don't let that struggle. So Tuesday, March the 1st, I'm going to be in my hometown of Columbia, Mississippi from 1130 to 130 at the Second Street Bean. That's tomorrow, my hometown of Columbia, Mississippi. Uh, we don't have anything Wednesday because we're going to be down at the Trustmark Park. And if, if I will let you guys know for sure on Wednesday morning. But if I understand it correctly, our friends at College Corner are going to be there to sell books. And if you catch me before the game, I'll even personalize it for you. So that's the case there, too. Uh, Thursday, March 3rd, I'm at the Capitol Grill in Jackson. And then uh, I'll head down to New Orleans. So it's a busy week. And then uh, those of you in South Louisiana, next Monday, a week from today, I actually bring my stuff with me. And uh, we'll record the Monday show uh, from the Crescent City of uh, New Orleans. And I'll be in Baton Rouge at Drusilla Seafood at 6 p.m. with the Mississippi State Alumni Association. And the, uh, the National Championship Trophy will be with me. How about that? Wednesday, March 9th, I'll be at the farm in Rueville, Mississippi uh, from 5 to 8. Uh, I was going to be at Biloxi. We had a scheduling conflict. I agreed to uh, – Mike Nemus going to go cover for us in Biloxi. And so I'm going to be at the farm with our friends uh, in Rueville, Mississippi, and then Thursday, March 10th at Red Square in Ridgeland. Uh, Friday, March 11th at Mossy Oak there in West Point. So that kind of gives you up to date kind of what's going on with me. If you got questions, reach out, let me know. I'm happy to help you guys out. Uh, the reality of it is, is uh, 
baseball season is about to kick off and football season is around the corner, spring football anyway, and basketball is kind of winding down. And much of the conversation over the next several weeks are going to be about the future of both Mississippi State men's and women's basketball. Here's the thing, too. And I know that I can be opinionated at times. Uh, but the reality of it is, is we all want the same things, and that's for Mississippi State to be successful. So we, we, when we disagree, let's disagree respectfully because I believe it's not about uh, personalities. It is a principles before personalities issue. And so if you, are dis- if you dislike me, it's because uh, you choose to dislike me. I'm not going to dislike you back. Just not. That's just not who I am. I don't like arguing with Bulldogs. I like discussing things with you guys, but uh, there are some people, it's like we want to get smug about stuff. And I've been accused of that sometimes too. And it's a character defect of mine that I've worked on most of my life. But uh, the reality of it is, is uh, none of us know exactly for sure what's going to happen. We don't know who's going to be the head coach on the men or the women's side uh, here next season. And so we'll kind of all find out together. We're going to do our best to keep you abreast of all that over at jeanspage.com. Paul Jones, Mike Nemeth, Everybody involved, uh, if we have information to share, we're going to share it for you. Paul is our resident uh, men's basketball insider. And so, in many respects, he will kind of have the uh, the inside track on many of this. If we hear things, we'll share it, though. Uh, and that's the thing, too. Everybody's open to comment. And that's the thing. That there's collective opinions. People, you know, you guys are what make a social media community great. You come in and share things you hear. And, then, hey, I've heard this. And we can kind of run it down and let you know it's true or it's not true, whatever. Uh, but I'm excited about college baseball. I'm excited about maybe perhaps um, having some finality to some of this basketball stuff. I, like I've said earlier, I want, I'm ready for the hump to roar again. I'm ready to go back and have that. We have not had that atmospheric consistency in years, and it's time to bring it back. It, it absolutely is. That's going to do it for today. Well, thank you guys for your support uh, of the Boneyard. And of jeanspage.com. If you're looking for books, go to dogpiledabook.com. Not many dog piles left at the warehouse, but there's a bunch out there at stores uh, and vendors. I say a bunch. They're, they have some inventory. Uh, that will run out probably over the course of the next few weeks, and then we'll have new books uh, in April, late April. So we may have to kind of bridge it together here. We may not have uh, inventory uh, for online orders in April. So if you ordered online, you've already been taken care of. But uh, be mindful of that as you consider your purchases here in the next uh, few weeks. If I'm out signing somewhere, you can rest assured they're going to have inventory. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com slash build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.